Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. Hey, how are you doing tonight? We take you through a long weekend here on 630 Chad. This is a best of edition of Inside Sports. My name is Reed Wilkins. Always love these shows because we get to present the best interviews, the best guests we've had on the show in recent weeks. And how about catching up with former Edmonton Oiler Jimmy Carson? 49 goals for the Oilers back in 88-89. Going well. I live in uh, suburb of Detroit, Rochester, Michigan. Uh, married, have four children, and uh, I am in the financial services business. And uh, that's been going quite well. So uh, all is good. Now, is that something you uh, were looking to get into even while you were still a player, or did those opportunities pop up uh, post-playing career? You know, uh, towards the latter part of my career, I actually started studying and uh, and taking various examinations for designations and licenses. So I would say while I was playing, I was kind of preparing. Uh, you know, I love business and financial services, et cetera, so uh, – and I kind of started as a client, so I got to see the other side of the table, and then I thought that would I would be able to bring good insight uh, sitting on the the advisor side. Okay, well, good stuff. Are, are, are you involved in in hockey? I don't know if you still get out and play a bit or or do a lot of alumni. I know you've done some alumni stuff. I don't know how often. Or are, are you uh, coaching or doing anything like that? I do nothing on on the coaching front. Uh, my kids, uh, I have three boys and a daughter, two of my kids, uh, but they're older. They're 23, 21, 19. So two of the, the older boys played hockey years ago. So I, and I wouldn't say I coach, but I would go on the ice and help, but that's, I'm not really that active. And I do still skate, uh, not a ton, but I've done now uh, living here in Detroit. We have a very vibrant Detroit Red Wings alumni. So I'll play in four or five games a year and attend some other events. And then uh, I just recently did a uh, uh, Los Angeles Kings fantasy camp in in L.A., which was a lot of fun. And then uh, so I would say I I play a little bit, but I'm not really that into into the game as far as coaching, et cetera. Now, being a hockey dad and having played in the NHL, was that uh, what was that experience like? Because clearly, you don't want to put the expectations. I, I would think of playing in the NHL on your kids, especially when they were younger. Were, did you have to uh, learn how to be a hockey dad, or, or, or you know? Uh, or... Yeah, I was actually. Uh, you know, I find there's kind of two types of hockey dads: one that really pushes, and one that doesn't. I was one that didn't. I didn't want the fact that I played to enter into the picture of they should keep playing and how they liked it. And, and actually it's funny because like I said, two of my three boys did play hockey, but I'm talking when they were seven, eight, nine, ten, And then finally they, they wanted to each play two sports a season while well, we had at the time three children. I'm like, no, you can only play one winter sport. So the, the oldest loved basketball and hockey and he picked 
basketball. And he ended up going to a Division three college here in, in Michigan and played basketball there. And then my second son, uh, he got into soccer and same same dilemma. I said, oh, you can only pick one, and he picked soccer. So uh, so they, they, they quickly bowed out, and that was kind of the end of my hockey dadding days. <laughs> well, and it's interesting, too, playing sports besides hockey, and I'm sure, as you know, there's always that debate nowadays. You know, a lot of kids coming up, even at maybe 10, 11, 12, are playing hockey 11 months of the year, and they're not playing soccer or baseball or football or basketball or, or learning other sort of athletic abilities and, and being in other team environments. I mean, I don't know what it was like for you when you were growing up, but do you view year-round hockey maybe for younger kids as a as a bit of a detriment to building your all-around ability? Because that's, that's a debate I, I ask a lot of uh, – a lot of ex-players and a lot of parents with kids now, do you put them in hockey year-round or do you say, like, no, you're going to do hockey, but then I want you to be on a baseball team or learn other skills? I would say I would come down on the camp of other sports. However, I think there's a a small uh, subset of the the larger picture that, you know, year-round probably makes sense. But I would say that's a very – you know, I would say very small portion of all the children that play. I think, you know, for the for the average kid, getting some good exercise, developing different uh, muscles and skill sets with different games, uh, I think is a wonderful, you know, way to develop and, and learn different sports and have fun and meet, meet people. Uh, but, you know, I'd be a hypocrite because when I was about 10, 11, I, I basically just did hockey played a little baseball, but not much. And, uh, you know, I think for certain kids that maybe are really, you know, maybe really elite, really dedicated, and and this is all they do is live and breathe the game, that they they can do it. But I don't think it should be like, you know, the standard is let's make everyone who wants to play hockey play year-round. Jimmy Carson joining us tonight on Inside Sports. Jimmy, Leon Dreisaitl uh, got to got to 50, and as I mentioned earlier, because of his chase for 50, a lot of people mentioned you getting 49 back in 88-89. Were you, I, I don't know how closely you followed the Oilers or, or Leon's specific quest for 50 this season. Did you find yourself paying attention to that? Uh, to be perfectly honest, no. Uh, and it's not because I just, being here in Detroit and busy. Uh, however, I did, I did follow it. Uh, so I would, I saw a few games and a few, uh, you know, I'd go on, on the internet from time to time and check the stats and, and the standings. Uh, so I was very happy he did, he did get the, the 50th. That's always a great accomplishment. And, uh, I would say even harder in today's game than my, my day. But so I think it was a very good, nice accomplishment. And, uh, you know, but I would, you know, I wasn't following it minute by minute or day by day. Okay, well, and I think now you had already scored 50 in your career when you came to the Oilers, so maybe it was a little different for you, but like Leon, you went into the final game of the season in Calgary with 49 goals, and I think you got an assist to get to 100 points, which which I know you had you had high-scoring seasons at other point in your career, but what do you remember about going into that final game of the year in Calgary? I, I mean, look, I, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it's my experience that what does a guy who scored 50 goals once in his career want to do? Well, he wants to do it again, right? I mean, <laughs> athletes like yeah. it. Those well, yeah. what do you remember about going to that game in, in Calgary with a chance to get 50 again? 
it's funny. What I remember was I came into the game with 49 goals and 99 points and thinking, oh, my gosh, if I could just get a goal, do 50 and 100, that'd be great. So my first shift on the ice, Theo Fleury comes right up to me and says, you will not score today because I am going to watch you. And he, every time I was on the ice, he was just all over me. And uh, so I remember getting the assist saying, okay, at least I got, at least I got a hundred points. That'd be great. Uh, and then uh, I had a couple of chances at the, at the get score in the 50th, but nothing really developed. So, so Theo was right. He made sure that I wasn't going to score. Well, I think Theo never had a shortage of things to say to people on the ice, right? So he just, he just. Yeah, there you go. There you go. <laughs> Uh, Jimmy Carson joining us at Inside Sports. You, you know, I, I, I gotta, I gotta take you back. We've never talked before, so, so I gotta ask you, what, what was your reaction in August of 1988 when you found out you were traded for Wayne Gretzky? <laughs> oh, I forgot about that. that did that happen? Yeah, yeah uh, right. <laughs> yeah, uh, I've been asked this a lot over the years, and it's pretty simple. I was in LA. We were having a young, up-and-coming team. And the owner of the team, Bruce McDowell at the time, told me, you know, we're going to renegotiate your contract, go buy a house. You, Robitaille, and Duchesne are my, uh, you know, the, the future of the team. You guys are going to be here a long time. And then he calls me in July and says, hey, I got some really good news, interesting news. He says, I think we might get Wayne Gretzky in a trade. I said, oh, my gosh, that's amazing. And he says, the problem is, is they really want you. And I'm like, oh, uh, and it was one of those things. And, and it just, to think back that, you know, arguably the greatest player in the history of the game and, and what turned out to be the largest trade in the history of sports and to be part of that, uh, there's always, you know, people joke, Oh yeah, you're an answer to a trivial pursuit question or et cetera, et cetera. But, uh, you know, what happened and it is what it is. What do you remember about uh, playing for the Oilers? I mean, you were here for uh, for a year and a bit, and, and then were ultimately uh, traded away. Was it, you know, what was the adjustment like coming to a Canadian market? And obviously, I mean, nobody expected you to replace Wayne Gretzky and get 200 points like he did, but still there was going to be some scrutiny there because you were involved in that deal. You know, it was very tough because the city was in mourning. Uh, and... I remember my first like exhibition game there hanging Peter Pocklington in effigy at Northlands Coliseum and, you know, major articles in the, in the papers and all the sports shows like this, where everyone was just calling, how, how could this happen? How, how do you sell trade, whatever Wayne Gretzky? So there was a lot of, so rightly or wrongly, I just felt, you know, like, I was the I was the visual visualization that oh yeah the trade you know Gretzky's gone and here's the guy we got or one of the guys we got so it was it was a very tough tough spot but I remember playing with some of the best players I've ever played with from Grant Fuhrer to Mark Messier to Glenn Anderson uh, Charlie Huddy Kevin Lowe uh, Mark Messier obviously uh, and the list went on and on, Craig Simpson, et cetera, and just saying, wow, this is an amazing team with a lot of great hockey players. Uh, and I remember our team had a pretty good season, and we we were actually three up in the playoffs, 3-1 one 
up three one in the playoffs against the Kings, and then we didn't lose. We didn't win. So that was a you know a tough way to. I've often thought if we'd won that series, how far we would have gone. Uh, but yeah, it was a great, great hockey uh, atmosphere, and uh, you know certainly coming from LA, where the Kings were just kind of on the upswing, or I, I don't know what they were at the time. But I mean, you go to the kind of at Edmonton that time, they had just won four cups in five years. It was like the the nerve center of hockey, so it was it was a different different atmosphere. You were briefly an Oiler, I think four games in the next season, and then and then wound up being being traded. Why was that trade, you know, to to leave the Oilers after being there for a season and a bit? Why was that something that you felt you needed uh, in your career at that time? You know, it was a, it was a tough spot. Uh, I remember having long talks with John Muckler, who I really respected, Glenn Sather a little bit too. Uh, it was one of these things where uh, it just didn't feel like a right fit. And I remember Peter Pockington said, "Well, we're gonna we're gonna negotiate. We're gonna have you sign a long term contract here." And I'm like, "I don't know if that's you know what, what I really want to do right now." And it, it just it kind of from there went went a little bit south and I just thought you know there'd been a lot of rumors the year before that the Red Wings were really trying to make a, a, a run or not a, you know to try to get me as a hometown kid so at the end of the day I just after talking to some people I just thought you know what I think it's just better early in the season let's just let's for for all people's sake here or party's sake let's uh try to make this this happen as far as a trade so but but I I do have very fond memories of Edmonton. I know a lot of people said, "Oh, you must have hated Edmonton." No, I I, I you know I just remember. Other than the fact it was extremely cold, <laughs> I remember getting there and saying, you know, like that first winter, plugging, having to plug uh, my car in at the mall or something. Like I had to get like a lesson from one of my teammates about, oh, you have to plug your car in. I'm just like, but but yeah, the people were very warm and it was a great hockey city and i still have some friends from edmonton to this day uh that i communicate regularly with uh that were really not hockey related as far as like related with the team uh just some you know wonderful people jimmy i got one more quick one for you and this is a standard question i ask uh, almost all ex-players i talk to now for for someone of your era I'm going to have to say that you can't say Wayne Gretzky because he's such an obvious answer. But here's the question. Who was the greatest player you ever played with and who was the greatest player you ever played against? Against Mario Lemieux. Uh, his hands. Uh, you know, if, if you say Wayne Gretzky is the, maybe the greatest of all time, and I'm talking like th- that era. Obviously, you got Bobby Orr, Gordy Howe, Maurice Richard, all that. But I'm just talking... People right away go to Gretzky because of the just pure quantity of statistical amazement. <laughs> like, you know, what, what he did was amazing. I, I would say, though, that Mario Lemieux was maybe the most talented. He was just very gifted. Uh, his hands, his peripheral vision, his just a pleasure to watch. And, and sometimes I remember you, I, I'd be like, okay, you're you're up against Mario. You can't like watch him because he'll dazzle you. You just, it was just, he was an amazing player. And I remember watching him in junior hockey as well. So, so to me, that's a pretty quick one. Uh, The, the second one's a lot harder because I played with some amazing players uh, in my 
career. I will I will name a few, and then maybe I'll I'll try to narrow it down. Luke Robitaille, Dave Taylor, Marcel Dion, L.A. Kings. Uh, I, I forgot to mention Yari Curry in the first go around on, on great players to play with, but I would say Yari Curry, Glenn Anderson, uh, Mark Messier, um, uh, Red Wing, Steve Eiserman, Sergei Fedorov, uh, I think, oh, Nick Lidstrom, amazing players. And then, of course, I, there were some others along the way, but I think those lists of players are all amazing players in their own right and uh i was i just feel very fortunate i got a chance to play with them yeah some great names there for sure hey jimmy thanks for being so generous with your time really appreciate your memories and uh, it sounds like you're enjoying life now with your job and your family thank you so much for checking in on 630 chat no problem thank you for having me that is jimmy carson we talked uh, more about him than we usually would this season with leon dreisaitl chasing 50. Leon got there with the Oilers. Jimmy didn't quite, though he did score 50 at another point in his career. Okay, we have a lot to get through tonight. We're with you until 8 o'clock. Best of edition here on Inside Sports. You'll hear from Edmonton Prospects owner Patrick Cassidy. You'll hear from former NHL defenseman Hal Gill. And when we get back from the Edmonton Eskimos defensive line, a perennial all-star in the Canadian Football League, Elmondo Sewell. Well, this was really cool. A couple of weeks ago, Edmonton Eskimos defensive lineman Almondo Sewell rolled into studio one night. We had an extended chat, and we started by going way back in his life, right to the very beginning. I was born in um, Buff Bay, Jamaica, a small, like, um, small village, like if you want to call it that way, on the coast. So, yeah, spent my half my life there and uh, moved to New Jersey when I was 12 years old. All right, so growing up in uh, in Jamaica, just what was, I mean, Jamaica has a reputation, but <laughs> tell, tell me what its life is, is actually like there. It's pretty nice, you know, everything's laid back. You know, the whole island lifestyle is, is true. <laughs> so, yeah, if you've ever lived on an island for a long time, you know exactly what I'm talking about. So, yeah. Now, were you an athletic kid? Yes. Um, grew up playing soccer and um, cricket. Oh, cricket, really? Yes. How, uh, how old were you when you take this? Because the way I understand it, like if, if you're a kid, you could start a game of cricket when you're six and it finishes when you're nine. <laughs> Seems about right. <laughs> I mean, it was, a, it was a smooth transition. As soon as I got to the U.S., I picked baseball up right away, and it was it's all the same to me. So, yeah. All right. So I imagine in Jamaica, was it soccer like almost out of the womb? Like you must have been kicking a ball around by the time you were probably, what, two or three or four? Somewhere around there. Yeah, somewhere around there. It's very like soccer culture and very like track and field. So did everything, you know. My dad was, was a big sports guy. So, I mean, you got to get out of the house and do something. <laughs> How many siblings? I got um three sisters. And were they athletic too, or are they athletic? Yes, they're very athletic. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So wow. your dad's into it, your sisters are into it, I assume your mom, or yeah. at the very least, she was supporting? Yeah, of course. You know, our middle, my middle sister, Amanda, she, my dad always saying, you know, she might be the first Olympian in the family, so <laughs> keep our fingers crossed. <laughs> How old is she? Uh, she's, what, 17 years old. Oh, so she's still coming up. Yeah. Uh, and where, where does she live? Uh, New Jersey. Okay, and is she? what does she do? Uh, she does the field events, so um, discus, shot put. Yeah. Okay. So a bit of an age gap, though, between you and the youngest one, eh? Yes. Okay. So, and then, you, okay, so you're a kid playing cricket. 
Like, mm-hmm. how soon do they, what age do you get into cricket in Jamaica? You know, as soon as you could, you understand the game, then you're going. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I didn't really keep an age on it, but, you know, once you can play, you can play. <laughs> because cricket is, it's one of those sports I feel like Canadians, North Americans. Now, I guess maybe I'm speaking for myself, because I've seen it where I, I feel like I understand it but i don't get it if you don't if you don't like because sometimes you can get six and sometimes you can get four and Mm -hmm. sometimes you you can run but you don't have to run like it's there's just some little details i don't quite get yeah it's a very complicated game you know i haven't played it in quite a while and i probably lost some knowledge of just how you're supposed to play it nowadays but you know every once in a while i skip past one of the espn channels and i see it on tv i'm just sitting there like wow you know that game was actually fun (laughs) so you moved to new jersey when you're 12 how come uh my dad just wanted a better opportunity for us to you know grow in you know new jersey in the u.s um you know prove to be a better place to go what do you remember about coming to the United States from Jamaica? Was it was it hard to fit in? I mean, was it hard to be accepted with, with kids your age? No, no, not at all. You know, I was pretty much like a personal guy, you know, like, but, you know, the first thing I remember was we got off the plane. It was about what, I want to say it was about the middle of February and it was snowing and I just couldn't believe how just how cold it was. <laughs> I mean, you come out of a place where the coldest it gets is what, like 78 degrees on a bad, bad day <laughs> and then everything else is in in the 90s so it's just like <laughs> yeah you never knew you'd wind up in edmonton did you no i did not the coldest <laughs> place on earth <laughs> okay so what's a bad weather day in jamaica just rainy like, or not even hey rainy days you know like especially during hurricane season well, so yeah. it'd be like about 78 degrees you know so yeah but the hurricanes don't usually hit there they usually do you know oh, they do yeah okay. they do they do so that's pretty yeah. scary then yeah yeah, but if you live far enough inland, you're you're fine. Okay. Yeah. Almondo Sewell joining us in studio tonight from the Edmonton Eskimos. So you get to New Jersey, you're 12, you said. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you've already got a cricket and a soccer background. Uh, and then you mentioned you'd get into baseball. Yeah. When did football become a thing? Um, you know, it became a thing like right away. My dad put us in, I put me in flag football right away. And I just, I, I'm just going to do it. <laughs> it's one of the, I, I, I got home one day. I was just like, this is just too soft. <laughs> I can't do this. <laughs> and he just, he was so disappointed in it because he thought I didn't want to play any sports anymore. I was like, no, I want to play tackle football. Like I see it on TV all the time. So sign me up for this. <laughs> he was a little bit worried at first, but you know, he got over it. Cause I assume the NFL was big enough in Jamaica. Even when you were a kid, you knew, you knew about it. You'd seen it. I'd never seen it. Oh, you hadn't until ne- you got I'd, to America. Okay. Yeah, never seen it before. <laughs> All right, so you you loved it. Yeah. And did you want to be an offensive player or a defensive player? I was a running back, actually, the whole time. <laughs> so, yeah, a lot of people don't know. I was a running back all the way up until, what, about 12th grade and played linebacker here and there, and then, yeah. You know, it's amazing because I usually interview Eskimos about their their football history because there's a lot of different stories mm-hmm. and for some of the Canadian it, it's different now in Canada but it mm-hmm. used to be a lot of Canadians didn't even start till high school yeah. now Canadians are starting at a much younger age too as I'm sure you know which is which is great but it's amazing how many players switched positions and often in high school or sometimes not even till university and then they yeah. make it pro at what's a relatively new position yeah I didn't switch to D tackle until what my my sophomore year of college that's when I first really? started playing D tackle. Yeah, 
So okay, so what did you get recruited to Akron to play? I uh, got recruited to Virginia at first oh, as a sorry, linebacker, okay. <laughs> and then from linebacker I got went to Akron U, and you know, uh, <laughs> Sean Lemon could he could he, he could chime in on this. We we used to go to the spot <laughs> down the street. They used to have these wings called Honey Goals. We just couldn't stop eating them. Gained thirty pounds, and they were like, "Oh no, you have to go on D line." <laughs> oh jeez. <laughs> <laughs> You're way too big to be a linebacker. <laughs> <laughs> All right, yeah. so you went from a running back to linebacker to uh, to D lineman. What was it like playing uh, NCAA football in Akron? I mean, that, that's such big time, exciting ball, isn't it? Yeah, it was nice. You know, it was probably one of the smaller schools on my recruiting list. And you know, when I came out of high school, I came from a very like prestigious high school, um, Hargrave Military Academy, where you know they bring in seventy five athletes in and seventy five athletes going straight to D one. I had 85 offers coming out of high school. Really? So I could have went anywhere I wanted to go. Wow. But, you know, I got kind of burned out a little bit. And, you know, I chose a smaller school on on my list. And, you know, it proved not, it panned out. It was just like one of my better choices I had. Okay. So. Well, and then uh, eventually you wind up in Edmonton. But so you play, you play at Akron. And then what were some of the opportunities after NCAA? Um, I didn't get drafted, which was, you know, it was disappointing. Yeah, <laughs> Quite disappointing. You, how did you think you were close? I mean, did teams talk to you? Where do you? I think was you close. You know, I thought I was. On, they had me projected to at least get drafted, mm-hmm. and then you know it just didn't happen, and you know it was disappointing. So the next day, instead of sitting around pouting about it, they had a tryout in Cincinnati, um, Ohio, for the Edmonton Eskimos, an open tryout. And I remember I drove down there that that morning. It was like. Literally, like, the next week on a Saturday, I drove down there. I got there, and what people don't realize about these open trials, everybody and their mother thinks they can still play football. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, they used to use this old saying, like, diamond in the rough or whatever, and, you know, you get down there, there's 200 guys out there trying out for the Eskimos, and it's just like, I mean, how can you focus on one or two guys, you know? So, I mean, you got to stand out. <laughs> so, but but you said everybody thinks they can play. So yeah. there were some individuals who perhaps obviously couldn't play, <laughs> to be polite. At least half. <laughs> okay, so you as one of the better athletes, <laughs> you, you knew right away, okay, I'm not the worst guy here. <laughs> of course. <laughs> I mean, you go down, you eyeball everybody. You're just like, you shouldn't even be out here right now, but... <laughs> I mean, you gotta live your dream, I guess. <laughs> so, what what do you think you did at that tryout to stand out a little bit? You know, um, I did pretty well on my combine testing, so I placed in the one percentile that year on everything. So, that, that helped me out a lot. Um, I ran a fast forty, and like um, that's where I met Paul Jones actually. And yeah, that's what that's what happened. Twenty eleven was your first year with the Eskimos. Yes. And so was Cavis the coach? Yes. Okay. So yep. so you wind now when you're trying out for the CFL. Here's mm-hmm. another question I always ask, especially the American guys, and I get different answers depending on how far north or far south usually players okay. grew up. Uh, what was your knowledge of the CFL before you know going through the tryout and becoming an Eskimo? I had no no knowledge of really? it. Really? I didn't even know where um, Edmonton was. <laughs> you <laughs> like, knew, So you knew, did you even know there was a Canadian Football League? I didn't know at first, no. no. <laughs> the only, you know what? You know, we actually had a couple guys that went to Akron U that are Canadians. Like um, like Jabari Arthur, he went down to, he played in Calgary. Yeah. Uh, one of my roommates in college, uh, Hassan Hazim, he actually got drafted by the Eskimos, but throughout the trade and everything like that, he ended up playing in Hamilton. But, um... 
you know, um, I, they never mentioned it before. They just was like, yeah, we got a we got a team up there, but that was about as far as they went into it. So okay. when I drove down to this open tryout, I said Edmonton. The only thing I remember about Edmonton is that they have the I got a really big mall here. <laughs> That's about it. That's true. That's true. And so you know, I had to do my little research, and yeah. More with Elmondo Sewell of your Edmonton Eskimos when we get back to the best of Inside Sports on 6:30. Chad, we had a lot of fun with a visit from Elmondo Sewell on Inside Sports a couple of weeks ago. The Edmonton Eskimos defensive lineman took a question from a listener on the text line. Vic says, of the new players the Eskimos picked up, who do you most look forward to playing with? Um, Larry Dean. You know, with JC being gone, you know, it's a, that's a that's a big hole to fill. So, you know, Larry Dean's coming in. You know, he's uh, I had spent some time with him in Niagara a couple, well, what, about a month ago? Me and him was in Niagara Falls. So, you know, he's a really good guy. So we'll see what he has to offer when he gets here. East nominee for Defensive Player of the Year. You got Javon Santos-Knox as well. Uh, uh, the three new linebackers coming in, Anthony Orange in the defensive backfield. So, uh, I mean, Trevor Harris, the quarterback, as, as you know, probably unfairly, is always gets the headlines. <laughs> it should be the D-lineman, right? Of course, it's always got to be the D-lineman. <laughs> Do all uh, the dirty work. <laughs> you know, and Ellingson and Daniels coming in. But it, it, it from my point of view, the the defense and with the addition of Philip Lawley, you know, maybe that's the, the unit that got the most improved over the offseason. Yeah, you know, I mean, you have one of these sayings will say, you know, um, defense wins championships. You know, um, Brock went out this year. He addressed it. Brought a couple of really good guys in. And, you know, it it's all depends on how fast we're going to gel right away. Hopefully it's just like, four or five days in the camp. You know, everybody gets on the same page. That's just like wishful thinking right there. But, you know, you got a lot of talented athletes on defense now where it just we just got to learn how to play together. Tell me a little bit about gelling as a defense because you have, like, you're doing a totally different job than what mm-hmm. Anthony Orange or Arjun Colhoun are doing, yeah. right? So, but how do you, how can a D lineman feed off what a defensive back is doing or vice versa? You know, when I uh, put it like this, when you got a guy, when you got a defense that plays a lot of man, you know, as a D lineman, you got to realize that, well, they play man coverage, you got at least an extra, like, like maybe like a couple seconds in there where you could be able to get a sack, you know, make something happen, at least make the quarterback run around. But you're also like stressing out the DB at the same time. You have to get to the quarterback when you're playing man. It's the same thing where like, you know, that the DBs are playing zone, we're depending on them to make sure they're at their landmarks, they're playing their zones, you know, we could be able to get there too. But we all have to like depend on each other. It doesn't matter if he plays like cornerback and you're at DN or D tackle. I mean, all of us are like like, you know, depending on each other. Put it like that. Speaking of D alignment, Kweku Boateng yeah. made a pretty big splash last year. Mm-hmm. What's what's he like? Do you think he's think he's still gonna get better? No, he's only gonna get better, you know, like um I've been here for quite a while now. And you know, you you pay attention to like all the players that come around the league and I've always said it too, Boateng is by far one of the better Canadian guys I've seen them draft in the league. I'm not talking about a Canadian guy that that was born and raised in Canada, but went to a U.S. school. I'm talking about a Canadian guy that was born in Ontario, stayed in Ontario, played college ball in Ontario, and ended up being that good. You know, so it's it's rare that you actually see that. Usually, some of those guys, you know, take them about a good two, three years to develop. There was no real development with him. It was more like he came in. Uh, we had a a crazy D line coach. I mean, <laughs> the D line will they'll, they'll, they'll bat me on this one, Casey Crehan. But you know, he really like he got it out of him. Like, no, like there's no developing. 
you got to go right now. And, you know, he took it to heart. And then, you know, all he did was work on it, work on it, work on it. I mean, he's not as athletic, athletic as the rest of us. But, you know, he worked on it. Now he's up there now. And also in defense, the change is going to be Philip Lawley as the new defensive coordinator. He was here working with the defense when you guys won the Great Cup in yep. 2015. I know Coach Jones was you know head coach and defensive coordinator, but mm-hmm. Coach Lawley was heavily involved there too. What what is his uh, his personality as a coach? How is he going to help you guys? No, Coach Lawley is pretty much like a, you know in your face type coach, which I mean he's old school. He's been at Auburn since <laughs> boy I don't know. He survived so many coaching changes at Auburn, <laughs> so you know. <laughs> <laughs> He's been in for quite a while, but, you know, when you go looking into Coach Lolly's history, um, Jones actually learned his defense off Lolly. You know, he come in, he's here now. We had him in 2015, and he always preached to us on the same, you know, we got to run to the ball, get to the ball, get to the ball. You, co- you get many guys to the ball, you get turnovers. The whole point of playing defense, you know, you can't be selfish. You got to play as a unit, and that's his whole, like, preaching right now. Were you surprised to see Chris Jones go to the NFL? No, not really. I mean, you've been in the CFL for so long, you know, getting to the NFL as a like head coach or or any type of coaching spot. I mean, that's probably about as high on the list as you get. Huh? This texture says, what is your goal, Elmondo, for 2019? What do you think you'll bring to the Eskimos defensive line? Um, my 2019 goals, you know, I usually write it down at the end of the year. You know, I'm a hard critic on myself. You know, I I, I take things so hard. I had a really crappy year last year. So you could, I'm saying it right out of my mouth. So, you know, this year is going to change a lot. And I'm way better shape now than I was ever before. So I'm excited to see what it looks like on when we put on the pads. Okay, well, I got to ask you, though, why do you call it a crappy year? Yeah, I don't count seven sacks as a good year. That's a spot average as it gets. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so more sacks. That's what you're. The- more sacks, more, more tackles, <laughs> more doing a lot more everything. <laughs> Almondo Sewell from the Edmonton Eskimos joining us uh, in studio. Who's your favorite quarterback to sack, or is it going to be Mike now? Favorite quarterback to sack. Ah, me and Mike got some issues to work out on the field <laughs> when we play BC. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> Is it going to be weird playing against Mike? Well, I could touch him now. <laughs> I don't have to listen to um, Coach Moss in the background saying stay stay, stay away from the quarterback. <laughs> so, yeah. We'll see. Almondo. <laughs> uh, you uh, so what do you, what's what's the ramp up now between the start of I mean obviously you're you're staying in shape throughout the off season will you change your training at all now that it's getting a little bit closer? Uh, about three days out I'll stop I'll go down go see my buddies at uh, Modern Gravity and do do some um, float therapy and that's usually what I do get my um, recover and then yeah get ready for camp. All right, uh, what are some things you like about living in Edmonton now that you've made it your home? Uh, Edmonton, like I like Canada. Don't get me wrong, but Edmonton, I love Edmonton. Edmonton is always going to be a place I'm at. You know, um, regardless if I'm playing for Edmonton or not, I'll always live in Edmonton. It's like one of the best places I've ever been to. Truly, best place I've ever been to in my life before. And like, um, I mean, it's cold. But that's why they have direct flights to Mexico. So <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Well, you guys get. I mean, it's funny the CFL season. You get to 
cover all the seasons. Yeah. <laughs> it starts in the spring. We don't have get, a spring here. Oh, no, true. Spring is pretty short. But you get the nice hot weather in the yeah. summer, and then uh, <laughs> that's another thing with some of the American guys they, they've who've come up here in May, mm-hmm. and they've said to me, yeah, I moved up here, and I thought, why do people keep saying how cold it is? Like, it's beautiful, and it's light mm-hmm. out till 10 o'clock. And then October and November hit for oh, the yeah. playoffs, and then they're like, "Oh, yes, <laughs> it's a different, different city and a different game too." Oh yeah, <laughs> that's when people don't want to tackle. <laughs> you start seeing them take these high, the head hunting shots, and yeah. Um, I I know you still got a lot of playing days ahead of you, but are you still interested in uh, police work when you're done? Yes. No, definitely interested, you know. Um, that's something I've always wanted to do. And, like, um, I'm taking the necessary steps right now to make sure it's all done. Um, I'm still working on my Canadian citizenship right now. And once that's done, I could just keep playing ball. And once ball is over, going straight down there the next day. That's Omondo Sewell, defensive lineman for your Edmonton Eskimos. Looking forward to seeing him rocking and rolling once again this season. When we get back, Edmonton Prospects owner Patrick Cassidy and Hal Gill from the Nashville Predators broadcast booth. 6.30 Chad, Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 6.30 Chad.